ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Prince Podcast here on Podcast Juice. My name is Michael Dean. Lord, we got a good show here today. Joining me today, let me roll out the red carpet for the one and the only Elisa Denise Ferrillo. How are you? Well, I should have worked on that name with you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Elisa. It's actually, well, it's funny because it's always been Elisa Fiorillo, but it is the hardest name on the planet to say. Okay. So then I got married and then my last name was Deese. And when I joined back with Prince, he insisted on calling me Deese because that's my married name. And he wanted to pay respect to my husband. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. People know me as Elisa Fiorello. Like when I worked with you back in the day and he's like, you're a married woman. Your name is Deese. So that's how you say it. (laughs) Deese. I stand corrected. That's that's what I do. Hey, I I need correction. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Also, it's a difficult name. Yeah. Also, you, you hear another voice here. Uh, Niall Gerges. Sir, how are you? Yes, sir. I'm right here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining me today. And why are they here? Of course, they're here because I'd have them here regardless. Uh, uh, you know, you know, definitely know Elisa. Uh, but we are here to talk about a new project uh, that they have coming out that I believe is dropping this Christmas here, 2017. It is called I Wish You Heaven and is a compilation of Prince songs uh, done by some artists that hopefully we can talk to today. But don't let me be the one to say what this is. Uh, Niall, I want to start with you, man. Can you tell us about this project? Hey, man, how you doing? And I'm happy to be here. Um, Yeah, the project, uh, let me give you a little background real quick on on Elisa and I. So I've known Elisa for almost 30 years now. Uh, Mm. We, uh, I played drums for her. And it was another Prince connection. So we were kind of bonded by this whole Prince thing. And uh, so when I when I played, she was on Chrysalis Records and she put out her second album called I Am. Mm-hmm. And Prince co-produced and co-wrote most of the record. And when Lisa was putting together a band, uh, she ended up finding me as a drummer. And we did Arsenio Hall and Prince did the arrangement for us on Arsenio Hall and uh, a bunch Apollo. of other cool things. The yeah, and the, we did live at the Apollo, and then uh, me and a buddy of mine did the remix for "Ooh, This I Need." So we we go way back, Elisa and I, and we go way back in terms of our, you know, Prince being the kind of the mm-hmm. the uh, middle middle guy there, and just kind of uh, being the kind of the bond there. But um, yeah. So telling you about the project, um, I had this idea prior to Prince passing. I always wanted to do, I love cover songs. I love when people make, make music their own or make a, uh, make a song that somebody else wrote, make it their own. I love that. And, um, so I wanted to do that prior to his passing and I started brainstorming and putting a list together and I never followed up on it. Too many things going on in life. And then of course, after he passed away, it seemed, uh, totally appropriate at that point. And uh, I contacted Elisa. Well, we're always in contact, but I called Elisa and I said, Lisa, I'm thinking we should do this and we should do some tracks and then we should start bringing in other people. I have a lot of really talented friends and you've got talented friends. So let's see who can we, you know, see who's down and wants to contribute a track. And that's what happened. And Elisa said, it's a great idea. Let's do it. And we just embarked on the journey. Wow. Uh, can, can you tell us, uh, before I go to Lisa, like, um, 
how many songs are on this, some of the songs that are on here? Because, again, a lot of fans are going to want to know, like, oh, are they just going to do Purple Rain over? Or what, what, what songs are, what kind of <laughs> we songs got, are talking about? We got 15 versions of Purple Rain. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Done in every genre possible. No. Classical to reggae to funk. Yeah, right. No, sure, sure. no we, we didn't do that. As a matter of fact, Purple Rain is not even on this uh, okay. on this CD or cd here i go uh on the youtube it's a it's a youtube we should state that up uh also is that this is going to be available on youtube only for right now okay. and if it does if it does appear anywhere else it'll be like spotify so just streaming services where you can listen for free um yeah as far as the as far as the compilation we have 15 tracks uh a 16th might be added as a bonus track because one of the artists is having a little trouble getting it to me um, and, uh, but yeah, we have 15 tracks and they're all done and they're all mastered and the video, there'll be like a little simple video to go along with each track. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's some, there's several independent artists, but then there's people like Elisa doing sometimes it snows in April. There's Cassandra O'Neill from NPG doing an incredible version of, uh, something in the water does not compute. Um, and then there's, you know, there's some names you don't know. And then of course there's, uh, one of the other guests that's coming on that did unbelievable version of, uh, nothing compares to you with his wife, like super passionate version, uh, a lot of power and passion in it. So, um, yeah, 15 official tracks. Wow. And you said, so this is going to be on YouTube. Uh, so are these going to be videos or is it just, you, you can listen to the songs? I'm just well, curious. You know, everything on YouTube is a video, right? But rather than it being just a thumbnail of a picture that you're staring at the whole time, mm -hmm. uh, it is, you know, it's a little, there's a little moving graphic. I'll let that be a surprise, but okay. there's a little, an there's a little animation going and a little simple graphic that sort of kind of keep, you know, keeps it interesting and, and cool. And um, as far as the track, the, the, the variation and, in, you know, tracks that we that ended up on here is we have several B-sides, Prince B-sides like uh, like 17 Days and uh, what other B-sides do we have on here? Um, that's the only one that pops up. Well, 777 was a time track, right? So, you know, there's stuff that Prince wrote. We have oh, even, so there's, you know, there's a cover in 777 on here. Yeah, there's, and it's real cool. It's uh, done by a, a really talented friend of mine. And we have a guest, uh, the guest trumpeter at the end of it because it goes into like a, a Latin jazz thing at the end, which is wow. super, super hot. And uh, the guest trumpet player is Arturo Sandoval, who um, he's like a seven-time Grammy winner. Um, and that's uh, the artist's boss. The artist plays percussion for him when when arturo tours and he asked him to do it and it's that that's what's another beautiful thing is a guy like arturo sandoval who who was dizzy gillespie's uh mm. protege at one time and yeah this do, you guy's know, like, do you know that dizzy gillespie actually got him out of cuba yeah to got to the exactly. america to get to get him work wow. and get him in his career i found exactly. that out yesterday from my big band leader bruce <laughs> i was oh, like yeah what? yeah he has cool. a crazy they made a movie about it with uh with andy garcia but mm. um hmm. they uh so arturo agreed to play on this thing and i was going to say that's the beauty and the uh the scope of prince's influence mm -hmm. i mean a guy like arturo probably would not have agree, agreed if it was, you know, a Backstreet Boys tribute. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, 
you get it's when you, once you mention Prince to people and say, hey, do you want to do you want to you know, we want to pay our respects to Prince in this particular way. It's like you're not going to you're almost never going to get a no. You know, that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. All right. Um, Elisa. Yes, you are. You are a part of the new power generation. You're solidified yes. in that. Uh, and, and again, I first got uh, wind of you or knew about you when uh, Graffiti Bridge came out. And, oh, know, boy. Love Machine. You know, the Love Machine. Yeah. <laughs> you did that in harmony. And That's I was awesome. like, who is this? I'm like, oh, okay. You know, uh, looked at yeah, the... my, my grandmom didn't like that song. I would imagine. But I did. <laughs> I was a young man. I was like, oh, okay. But so you've been, you know, you've been around Prince for a very long time, and um, you know, first question I got to ask this: a lot of people will ask this. You have worked with Prince. You were here. You were there. Why are you doing this project? And, I'm not, and, and let me say that. I'm going to be clear. I'm not saying that in the sense of like you shouldn't be doing this type of thing. But I'm just asking, like, as a band member, right? We right. want to hear from your perspective. Uh, first thing that pops in my head is I love him. I loved him as a brother, as a friend, as a teacher. And one of the things he relished in was teaching. And he he loved new artists. He loved discovering new artists on YouTube. He loved just turning us all on to, to new talent and you know, I witnessed firsthand with him where he would take somebody else's song, like that some random person's song, and he'd he'd have us do it. There was a song I can't remember the name of it, but he taught Liv and Liv and Shelby and I all the lyrics and all the you know harmonies, and we would perform it. And it was this random guy's song that we'd never even heard of, wow. and it was something that he just he loved hearing. He wanted to do a different version of it himself. So I thought. Wow, how cool is that? He he would take other people's songs and try to beat them at their own own <laughs> version. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, he he didn't say that he did that often, but he really did. He did he did do covers. He and, did a lot of covers. Yeah, a lot, lot of covers. covers. Let me let me ask you something. You you just said something. I, I just want to go back because this is interesting. You said that Prince would be on YouTube. Oh, all the <laughs> looking time. Looking for other artists. Once he, Describe once he got just a that laptop, type. Of- yeah. Once he got a laptop, he'd be up in his office just searching. I mean, that's how he found Liv Warfield. That's how he kind of found out about me because I, like, I had lost touch with him for 20 years. And I had had a uh, YouTube clip up uh, trying to get work here in Vegas. And I had come up with this fake management name. And it was actually my home phone number. And I was like, <laughs> what crazy person is going to call me and start harassing me? And the only person that ever called was Prince. <laughs> I was like, uh. Boy, I'm glad I put that YouTube video up, but that's how he got back in touch with me. That's cool. And uh, so why do I want to do it? Because, you know, as soon as Prince passed, you know, I had mixed feelings about people going out and touring right away. Um, you know, I had mixed feelings about it, about even going to the um, the Paisley uh, celebration. big celebration. Because mm-hmm. we had done our own uh, I thought it was his the final goodbye uh, at the uh, what was this what was this place called that you came to Nile in Minnesota in October? Well, it was, it was a big stadium, yeah, the big yeah. tribute show. 
So we had done it. I mean, everybody was crying on stage. Stevie Wonder was there. I mean, it was just beautiful. And so that was like my goodbye. I got to sing sometimes it snows in April in this huge venue with everybody's lighters and everybody crying. And it was like, a, it was a nice way to say goodbye. And I, I kind of was done being sad about it. Um, so, you know, at first I was like, well, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea because this is not about making money. This is not about our egos. This is not about self-promotion. You know, I'm, I'm the last person that wants to go on tour and, and do anything. I love being home. I love doing my big band jazz stuff here. I, I feel bad that I can't you know, go on tour and, you know, share my love of jazz. But, you know, right now I've got my father living with me. I'm taking care of him and I have my daughter and I have my husband. And, you know, touring life, it gets a little old. You know, you just kind of want to, I just want to be mom and and just do what I love. And and that's where I'm at, you know. So this was my way of saying, hey, I can't get out there and start touring and doing his music live for y'all. But, this is a gift. You know, I see it every day on Facebook, people posting pictures telling how much they miss him, how much they love him, how much they've affect he's affected their lives. And I, I look at the fans and I just say, Hey, here's a gift for you, you know, just to keep his spirit, his music alive, share it with your children, make your kids know who Prince was. Uh, Cause that's what he would want. So that's yeah. my biggest reason for doing it. <laughs> Amen. And, and, mm-hmm. and Niall, let me ask you, um, Obviously, you've you've had opportunities to work uh, with Prince and, and, and you know through Elisa and things of that nature. You as a musician, right? Like, what did Prince mean to you, and what did he inspire you and and, and things? Wow. Well, first of all, I could speak for hours on that topic. Um, <laughs> I've been a I've been a fan for since uh there was a good friend of mine um that has since passed away about 10 years ago but when we were in high school um you know he knew i was a drummer and he knew i was a fan of all these different drummers and all this you know uh most a lot of rock a lot of um new wave stuff that was on the radio and he and he said hey come here and check this out since you're uh you know knowing that i was a drummer and he put on tambourine okay mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh from around the world in a day and as, sur- as soon as i heard that opening drum fill i literally my my jaw was on the floor because it was just so funky you know it just like it it literally changed the way i thought about drumming and to this day that song literally is like alien funk <laughs> you know it's it sounds like somebody dropped out of outer space and 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 made funky music um, it's so otherworldly and um, it's just a trip. It's like he, it's a James, obviously, you know, his James Brown influences is in a track like that, but then he takes it somewhere else. And that was the most incredible thing about Prince is you could hear all his influences, um, but they went inside of him and got flipped and turned around and, and, and he put his own, uh, he put his own twist on, on all of his influences so he he's influenced me uh i would have to say more than any other artist um in terms of uh him being a live performer in terms of his production choices his musicianship i honestly think and i'm a fan of all the greats uh, and i but i honestly think is if you if, if there was one artist that really had it uh 
had it all going on in terms of, like I said, the performance, the production, the songwriting, the, uh, I'm probably missing a few things, a fashion sense. If you put it all together, I don't think it'd be really hard, uh, you'd be really hard pressed to, to find somebody who did it, who did it better than him. So what does he mean to me? He's in my, he's in my top three, uh, if not number one, uh, He's now he's number one. Let me just say that. And I'm not just saying it because we're on this Prince podcast. He's my number one guy in terms of music. So that that'll that'll tell you. When when you uh first met him and and more specifically, if you had an opportunity to play with or for him, was there a, a level of uh, intimidation or do you feel like he was ready to be, you know, because I can imagine you, how old were you when you heard uh uh, tambourine. tambourine tambourine i was uh gosh i don't know i was about i was about i was in high late okay i think right. it was in high school but i was probably 16 we get <laughs> what's that yeah we get, we're getting old i can't yeah we're, we're dating ourselves here but you know i don't care you know shoot no hey well, i'm in the uh, same but... boat it, it's fine but but i'm so I'm, I'm so i can understand like what that song meant at that time prince was at he was on fire at that point. So oh, his man. level of, he was on the upper echelon. So you becoming older, studying music, having that as a bar. Tell me about that first experience, man, when you got in front of him. Well, the thing is, let me tell you this. I, I, I actually did not get in front of him. That was the okay. crazy thing. So when I, first, when I first started working with Elisa, it was only maybe a few years after I'd heard Tambourine, that experience I just talked about. And then I got on as Elisa's drummer and we act, he did the arrangements for us that we performed on some of the uh, on some yeah, of the shows. He sent a cassette tape. He said, yeah. he said, have your band top this." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." So I yeah, it was a challenge. It was a challenge it, because he wanted he didn't to think, see if, if we could yeah. do it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he didn't think Elisa was because Elisa told Prince, "Hey, I put a band together." And I think in the back of his mind, he's like, "Oh, this little white girl put together a band <laughs> to play." You know, there's no way that they're 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 competent or funky or you know. So he sent a three song medley that we were to perform on the original Arsenio Hall show when he was first on, mm. and um, so we we all went home with our cassettes and and learned it, and then we went to rehearsal, practiced it, and then you know we were all nervous because we were massive Prince fans, and uh, we recorded uh, live in the rehearsal room us playing that three song medley. And then it was sent to him. Um, uh, so I never got to meet him, but obviously the nerves were there because mm. I was being I was being yes. tested, really. Um, I mean, was it Mike, was it Michael Bland was playing the drums on that tape too? Yeah, oh, and wow. Michael Bland is Whoa. one of my drumming. He's one of my drumming heroes too, right? So just he's my of all the Prince drummers, he's definitely uh, n number one in my book. Even though he had a ton of great drummers, including John the late. Black. John Blackwell, right, right. who was just a, a monster on drums, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, that that was the uh, that was a test, and we passed the test. So uh, that was a big, big deal for me. And I was only, I think, nineteen, coming on twenty, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was huge. Do, do you, you know? still so have I, that tape? <laughs> we still got, the, yeah. I still have. I transferred it to. I digitally, you know, I transferred off a cassette to to digital. So I have the rehearsals. I don't even know if Elisa knows I have them, but I do. Oh, my uh -oh. God. I have to hear that. <laughs> yeah, Man. it's great. 
So you got the tape, the, the, the Prince sent you a tape. I know you was like, <laughs> when you heard it though, you're like, oh boy, okay, we got this. Or like, oh, okay. No, no, we, we knew we had it. We were competent, all of us, including one of the guys that, that contributed track, uh, a guy named, I got to give him a shout out because he started with us too, Pocket Honore. Uh, he did he did Bambi on the compilation album, uh, by the way. He did like a real heavy metal version of it. Um, but yeah, Pocket was in the band. And we all knew that we could, when we got that cassette, well, we knew we were good. And then when we got that cassette, uh, when we got that cassette, it wasn't like a scare. It wasn't scary. It wasn't something we couldn't do. We just all went home, learned it. And then we came to rehearsal and started started knocking it out. And so you can see it on YouTube. You can go... And look up Elisa oh. Fiorillo and uh, put in, um, I think that the song was On the Way Up. That's one of them. Um, and then we did uh, Ooh This I Need and Love's No Fun. So we did three songs, all of which Prince co-wrote. Right, Elisa? Yes. Yeah. Well, not, not even well, actually, Love's no. no Fun. Love's No Fun, he wrote, and he also wrote Ooh This I Need. Um, and it oh, was yeah. kind of cool. On Arsenio, we were only supposed to do... It was either two songs and an, two songs, no interview, or one song and an interview. And we opted out for the two songs because Prince said, "Just do the two songs. Show them what you do." Yeah. I was like, "Okay." So we ended up choreographing it. So we ended up on Arsenio's couch, like at the end of the song, yeah, and he fine. ended up coming over and talking to us anyway, which was kind of cool because I got two songs and an interview. So I don't know what Prince did, but it worked out really good. <laughs> Yeah, I think he dug it enough. But yeah, what an experience just to get that nod. I mean, Elisa was already working with him. So, you know, she had already gotten, quote unquote, like his approval. Mm -hmm. But for us as young musicians in that game of like R&B and funk and all that stuff, um, you know, to get that, that was getting the nod from him, you know, like, okay. You and you, guys did are... fin you did finally get to meet him at the yeah. um, Sayers Club in L.A. Yeah. Uh, I brought Niall to one of the shows, and then afterwards we did an after show at the Sayers Club, and Prince was standing right there, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to introduce Niall, because he's never met him. He's been my drummer forever. He he produced the Labor of Love album that I did I did when I was pregnant, that, that Prince loved Bun in the Oven, one of the songs on it. So I said oh. I said to Prince, I'm like, hey, my friend Niall, you know Bun in the Oven, that song you liked? He's right here. He'd like to meet you. So Niall walked over, and you can tell him what he said to you and what you yeah, said. Yeah, it was, yeah, that was 20, October 2013, right? So just a couple of years before he passed, um, three years. Um and, uh, yeah, he, I walked over to him and Elisa had given me like an introduction where he, you know, at least knew that I had done the Arsenio Hall thing and the jazz album. So I think he was kind of like, oh, OK, finally meeting Niall, you know. And uh, but for me, it was lit. I mean, it was beyond. I'm telling you to this day, that's the greatest person I've met, you know. And uh, and and I told him, um, well, he, he had said like nice work to me and stuff regarding the, the jazz album that we did. And I said, thank you. And then I, I said, if you ever have a chance to talk about God, if you ever have time to talk about God, I'd love to talk about that. And uh, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, we'll make time. Um, and I thought that was just so beautiful um, because that's one of my favorite topic, topics is spirituality. And I know that's one of his favorite topics. Um, and... Uh, we never got to we never got to talk we never got to have that meeting 
but um, man, just 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 to have met him and to ex- exchange that energy uh, that he met me and I met him, that was a, r- literally a beautiful thing. Wow, I can imagine. Awesome. Listen, we got another special guest popping up in here. We want to welcome Cassandra O'Neill to the show. How are you? Hello. Listen, let me say this right off the bat. I, 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 I listened to uh, something in the water does not compute. Yes. Woo. Thank you. <laughs> you like it? I, I, I love it. I was like, who's singing? I didn't know who was singing there first. And I was like, who is this? I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, sister, you did your thing on that one. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank Elisa for this. Uh, um, uh, As I have spoken about this a couple of times, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do when she asked about this. And I said, huh, what about something in the water? And it it worked out. You know, it was a little bit of of a, a ponder since the key was a little bit different for a woman. And the lyrics, and I kind of did a little flip in there. I don't know right. if you noticed I did, it. I, I kind of changed the pronouns around. And uh, and it was actually a double flip because um, I said, must be something in the water you drink. It's been the same with every boy I've had. Must be something in the water you drink. Why else would a woman, me, want to treat a man so bad? So it's kind of an interesting little flip in there somewhere. So, um, uh, Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could do a whole show. I, I, I said this, uh, and I'm going to with Elisa. We, both of you guys have uh, extensive uh, things to talk about. Um, Cassandra, you have extensive uh, list of people you've worked with and things that you've done, uh, which I have to salute as well. But I, I, just to stay on topic of this, like, how did you um, meet uh, Prince and what, what brought you into the Prince world? Um, well, outside of being a fan, I was playing for Sheila E and, um, I was in her band. Um, well, it was a, it was a collective called co-ed, which was, uh, Sheila, Kat Dyson, guitar player, also of the MPG, Rhonda Smith, also the MPG bassist and myself. And, um, we were in LA, we had just gotten off tour and, uh, Prince had asked if we could accompany him to the Montreux Jazz Festival. In proper Prince fashion, he'll ask you if you're available without telling you a date. (laughs) So um, knowing that nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10, you're not going to say, no, I'm not available. Um, But uh, we went to the studio, into uh, center staging and rehearsed and rehearsed three of his songs, put them on CD and he heard it. And so um, again, still no date. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, Rhonda whispered in my ear something like, hey, Cassie, somebody's watching you. And I said, who's watching me? She said, Prince, girl, he likes your playing. And so um, he had asked who was playing keys on the recording, and they said it was me. And then we finally got a date, which was July 16th. Um, and I couldn't do that date because my mother's birthday was that day, her 70th birthday. And so um, for me, family trumps everything. And, you know, even when I brought it to my mom, my mom was like, no, you go work, you go work. This is a great opportunity. You go work, you know, it's always go work. 
but it was her 70th and she had been in and out of the hospital. And I felt in my spirit that I needed to be there. And so I told Sheila, I said, I can't do this date. And so, you know, they, he was very uh, not happy, but he said, if I don't have Cassie, I don't want none of y'all. So he ended up going with a different unit. Wow. So um, later on, yeah, later on that year in October, I got a call from his people and they asked me to come to Paisley. And I came to Paisley on a Friday, met Prince on a Saturday. Um, and uh, yeah, that was pretty much the beginning of the beginning. And uh, I was there for seven years. Take me back to that when he caught when they reach back out to you and you go to Paisley Park. Had you been there before? No. And actually, I had met Prince already because I had did the um, NAACP awards, that Vanguard okay. award yeah. uh, performance. That was me. I had short hair and I was playing in Sheila's band. And, uh, you know, I had met him then. Um, but that was pretty much the extent of it. You know, we went to his house that night and we partied or whatever. But, you know, that was it. So when I got the call, I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God! You know, it was kind of like a delayed reaction kind of thing because, you know, I was the, I, and still am, and will always be the ultimate Prince fan. So it was just like, oh my gosh, really? You know, so I had to pinch myself a couple of times. And uh, when I got to uh, Paisley, um, I had to get another wardrobe because, as you know, our dear purple one did not like jeans and casual wear. So I had to go to the Mall of America and purchase a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> so yeah, yeah and you're right <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know had to get some had to get some 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 boots with heels and and nice you know uh casual you know uh casual dressy wear that you could wear to rehearsal uh and wow. he pretty much changed the way that i dressed because i came off of macy gray who was mm. you know chuck taylor's and jeans so you know it was a whole switcheroonie for me you know walking around in pumps all the time or some type of stiletto and you know to this you know thank god for prince because now i can run in stilettos thanks to this guy you know <laughs> having to perform all the time so <laughs> so yeah so that was that was my experience and um i had a half of a half of a rehearsal um when i did my first gig uh, um, and Elisa was there and I nearly flipped out when I met her and she looked at me like I was nuts because uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, Elisa, all the way up. Right. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> talk, talk to yeah, me. Yeah, Nice talk. to meet you, too. Okay. <laughs> well, go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah. So, Lisa, you tell us about that, what it was like, because I, I could have sworn you thought I was nuts. Really? Yeah, I thought you were a little nuts. But, oh, okay. But, well, at least thank God for, for honesty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, I never thought anybody knew who I was. It, honestly, I was never affected by the old, uh, you know, pop star thing. Uh, to this day, I'm in shock when people say, I know your hit song. And I'm like, you remember that? Like, <laughs> so I, I was not, I was just like, wow, you know me? Like, I really didn't, it didn't even phase me. I didn't think you remember her. Her Apollo performance. Remember, I was singing the song that you sang. You know, um, she's like a dictionary. She's like an encyclopedia <laughs> for chords, changes, lyrics, 
Melody. <laughs> this woman is a monster. She's amazing. Let me ask you guys this. Um, so you guys in the band, y'all was in, y'all, I'm not say in, you are a part of the new power generation. You work with Prince. Right. What was it like? I want to hear you guys' perspective of the work ethic in terms of the rehearsals and sort of the day-to-day of that, you know, and, and also did that influence you in your other musical endeavors uh, going forward? Um, I would say that the, the day-to-day was pretty much this. We, you wake up, you do what you do before rehearsal. Rehearsal started usually at around one or two. And we, you know, the MD, whoever that was at the time, um, got the list from Prince, either calling you in your room or emailing you. And the singers, you know, Shelby, Liv, and Elisa would go off on their own and do their thing. And then the band would go into the soundstage and do our thing. And then the singers would meet up with us at about, oh, say three, three thirty or four o'clock. And we'd come together and, and you know, kind of compare notes and, you know, make sure that our structures are the same and, you know, all of that. And then we would rehearse till about 6.30 or so. And then we would go eat for an hour. And then Prince would come uh, when we come back. Prince would come in and do his thing up until he didn't want to do his thing anymore. Um, so that was pretty much it. And whoever the MD was pretty much didn't have any power when Prince came in. You know, um, the MD position was pretty much like the taskmaster of the day. Prince was his own musical director. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, when I was the musical director, I didn't have, it wasn't creativity that he wanted from me. It was order. It was who knew all the parts, who, you know, who who could sing, you know, if the singers needed anything, you know, who who knew how the structure went. You know, when we hired, um, when he hired the, uh, the MPG horns, I worked very closely with Phil Lasseter, um, making sure that the chords and the, you know, um, and the, the, you know, whatever it was that Phil was coming up with or whatever he wrote, you know, worked with, um, uh, with what the band was playing, what was working with what the singers were doing. Um, and, uh, you know, it all worked out. You know, Phil is, uh, is a, a, a man, he's a he's genius. And such a maestro with those horn arrangements. And, uh, you know, it, it was a nice, big, happy family. It was, you know, we, we, we played we together. Had, we had a lot of we, fun. Yeah, we played, you know, to, we played music had, together and we played together. You know, He had a lot of yeah. fun. He had so he much did. fun at rehearsals. Uh, he did. From Morris putting on that hat, that church lady hat. And going yeah. to Oregon. <laughs> I'll never forget that. He was on right. Laura laughing to when the horns joined us just when we did extra lovable just how mm-hmm. how exciting that was when they when they came together with the band and played those parts mm-hmm. uh, I just I yeah. I cherish all those memories yeah there were times where I would look back um I remember uh be, you know being in the band in we're behind the horn players and I just remember kind of taking a step back and looking at the whole band and it was like wow this is such a freaking dope visual like people have a choice of what who they want to key in on it could be Prince it could be the horn players it could be the singers it could be the rhythm section it could be you know Damaris or whoever the muse was at the time um you know and it and all of it was done at such a professional level 
You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. it was, who does that? Like, who does that in rehearsal where you got your pick of who you want to choose to to vibe off of? And we vibed off of each other. And it was just like, I'm like, this is a band. Like, this right here is a freaking band. Like, for the first time, I'm in a, a, a band. Like, the all-star <laughs> like, like you can't say it any other way. Yeah. Wow. What, what was it yeah. like? Uh, so when you would do the shows, and then of course the after shows. How was the after shows for you guys? I was tired. Oh man, I looked at the after shows as like. <laughs> Go ahead, Lisa. Go ahead, Lisa. I mean, I was tired all the time because after a show, when you sing the high parts. You know, you need to rest. I'm sorry. That's just me. I don't have like <laughs> vocal cords that are like, you know, ru- huge rubber bands or anything. So my <laughs> my thing was, is I need to sleep to keep my high voice, uh, you know, intact. And that was not going to happen in this camp. And I figured it out early on. So I'd sleep as much as I could in the day. I'd take little cat naps at rehearsal. <laughs> and then I knew it was coming. Afterwards, I had to get my Red Bull and just stay with it. And like many nights, I, I don't know how my feet held up because my feet are very sensitive. I got sensitive feet. And I, <laughs> I, just, I just, if I never wear a pair of heels again, I will be so happy. Um, <laughs> but I would like, look at Shelby and Lynn would just go for hours and hours and hours. They could sing and be sing as loud as possible for hours and never lose their voice. And I would be like so protective of my voice because my I grew up in a family where my dad's a classical pianist. So he always said, that's your instrument, protect your instrument. You know, so right. I wasn't allowed to do cheerleading in high school because that would be screaming and you'd hurt your voice. Right. And right. So my thing was protect my instrument. And, and I, here right. I had no time to protect and sleep. And that's like the only mm-hmm. thing I could do to protect it. Yeah. So. But, you know, it was fun. We had some great nights till six in the morning. Uh, I know that's right. <laughs> hey, could I, could I jump in and ask certainly, a question? Certainly. Hey, uh, Cassandra, I'm on the Nile here. Sure. Um, so I wanted to ask okay. you a question. So um, when, when Prince, did Prince show you parts? Did he get behind your keyboard setup and go, this is what I want you to play? Or did he have you just figure it out, figure out the record on your own? What was that like? Both. Both. It depended on whether the song had keyboard parts or not. Um, some of the songs that he did were just kind of guitar driven. So he would come behind me and, you know, and would, you know, give, give me a uh, give me a clap and, you know, or give me this and give me that. And <laughs> OK. Give it up for him and he'd play it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, the, of course, you know, there were songs that had that were keyboard driven that I already knew. So I would just play the parts that I knew. And then he would say, okay, well, yeah, this this is life. So Cassie, you're playing that also play this. You know what I'm saying? He would always add to, uh, add to the arrangement. We play uh, songs faster. He would always say, you always want stuff brighter live, Mm. you know, to add to the hype of it because nine times out of 10, um, if you play it at the same tempo, it's going to seem slow. So, yep. you know, always put a little bit of a, you know, kind of like a little splash of hot sauce in there just on the speed, yep. not to make it fast, but faster, but just to make it a little bit more intense. Mm. Gotcha. How much? Yeah, but my, go ahead. I was going to say, how much, can you speak to us about like, in terms of you being the musician on stage with Prince, like how much did you have to pay attention to him though, uh, in his movements and things? Cause it always seemed like he would have y'all at the drop of a dime and bop, 
you know, I don't know how much of that was rehearsed or how much was that you had to really keep your eyes on Prince at all times. All of the time, all of the time. And, de- and, and it didn't matter where he was on the stage. He would always say all eyes on me. So mm-hmm. when we would do like the, the symbol stage, um, it was harder, especially oh. for those of us that were in the circle because uh, poor guy, man. Yeah. Yeah. He had it bad. He had it really bad because if Prince was at the other end of the stage, there was no way for us to know what was going on, but he had his way. It was either verbal or visual. You know what I'm saying? And he didn't care whether you were in Africa and he was in China. You're going to play that part right. And you're going to know what it means. You're, you know, you're going to know where to go. And so, um, you know, you use your, your peripheral vision. You, you know, it's almost like being a blind person knowing, you know, where to go because we've played it so many times. Um, You know, you anticipate when you, you know, when you really, really need to look at him, you know, and then there were times where he would just kind of blow a kiss and that would mean kiss. You know, there were things that we knew what it meant. Now, were there times where we made mistakes? Sure. Did he get mad? Of course. Was he unreasonable at times? Yes. (laughs) Listen, give me, give me an example of an unreasonable prince in terms of the band. Okay. 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 So, so, okay. There is a, um, there is a clip in Alisa. I don't know if you remember this. I think we were in Paris. Uh, there is a audio clip of Prince going off on me because one of my keyboards malfunctioned. Now, <laughs> all I do is play the, the things, okay? Um, it, the, the keyboard was called a virus, okay? It was called a virus. It, it's an access virus is the name of the board. During controversy the night before, it started to kind of do things on its own. It was just, I didn't touch it because I play it in the beginning of controversy. I play um, uh, tambourine. And so I'm playing my tambourine and all of a sudden this keyboard is going and I'm not touching it. I'm not doing anything to it. I'm just playing my tambourine. So even when I turn the volume down, there was apparently there were some issues with cables. I am not an electrician. I'm a musician. I am a keyboard player. So I don't know what to, I turned the volume down and that was that. So the next day he's like, Cassandra, uh, what happened during controversy? I said, the virus uh, started to malfunction. The what? I said, the virus? He said, what is that? I said... <laughs> the the keyboard is called the virus. So I'm you know you have to answer questions without getting mad because I know where this is going but it was not my fault. Wow. But in his world it did not matter. It was my keyboard and it was my fault. So you just have to kind of swallow it and eat it and grill it up and put ketchup on it and you know and he goes into this whole spiel about um you know, you're my sister. Why would you, why would you put a virus on my, on my, on my stage? I said, Prince, it's a, I'm just like, you know, I, and I'm one of those people, I, you know, I'm going to 
answer your questions as precisely as possible. So he's taking me through a song and dance in front of everybody. And I'm just like, look, what I really want to say is like, look, man, it happens. Crap <laughs> happens. You know? And like, let's move on. You know what I'm saying? And because that was one of the weird things that about not having a monitor guy that was hard about this gig, because I've never done a gig where there was no monitor guy. And if you said the words monitor guy to him, you were automatically fired. So, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I remember that. Remember well, that? Well, well, yeah. Let me ask you, so, why, yeah. why is that? What would be the problem with having a monitor guy? Because the house the guy is supposed to do it all. <laughs> right. But there was no, it wasn't the problem was a monitor. There was a problem with having a monitor guy. He wanted, he, he had con more control, he thought, by not having a monitor guy. But the thing of it is, is back in the day, you could get away with that because there, you know, the the technology wasn't as advanced. Nowadays, we're dealing with, you know, slapback and everything, you know, you know, we're doing in-ears and all of that, you know, back mm -hmm. and you have wedges, the front of the house guy did control it. Now we have in-ear monitors and everyone needs different things to get through. The singers need keys. You know, the singers need themselves. You know, me as a keyboard player, I need keys and bass and kick and snap. You know what I'm saying? So giving everybody stereo left and right and having to mix ourselves, which was the direction that we got every day, give them stereo left and right. You guys mix yourselves. I'm like, mix ourselves? Who the heck mixes themselves? I am mixing myself. You know, give me, give me what I need. You know what I'm saying? Because I was on gigs, you know, going from 98 Degrees to Pink to Macy Gray to Mary J. These were all upper echelon gigs where we used in-ear monitors. You know what I'm saying? So I got, you get used to that sound. And if you get custom-made molds and you got your mix just right, that's heaven. <laughs> that's heaven on earth. And you play <laughs> optimally, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to deal with you know, uh, you know, the wedges are too loud. I'm going to turn your wedge down. You don't have to deal with that. But in his world, you did because we didn't really start using in-ear monitors until, um, well, in, when I was there, until later on. So, you know, we were using wedges for a long period of time, for like two years, uh, you know, and it was, it was hard. You know, I've seen monitor guys, I mean, not monitor guys, but front of the house guys get, get fired because... They did something quote unquote wrong, and all they're trying to do is help. And you know, remember that one gig, um, Elisa, we were on tour. Oh, I, you might not have been there where he fired the entire crew. I, oh, I wasn't there that were time, there? but I did. Yeah, that. you weren't I there. My lesson where I didn't get close to the sound men after a while because <laughs> you know, you didn't want to say goodbye and be sad, you know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was he he fired that whole crew when there were three weeks left in the tour. I'm like, who who does that? But <laughs> Prince does it. Prince, does. Prince did it. And and you got to love him for it because you have memories, you know, you have memories and stories that you can tell your grandchildren about this, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So that that's yeah, now, that was an unreasonable it, moment for me. Was he just maybe just. In, in one sense, sort of set in his ways, like this is how I've been doing it. Is yes. it worked for me? Yes, I he was like an old woman. Yes, yeah. we'll say he's like old man. I don't, we don't put that. He's like, he's like, 
He was like an old lady. He was like an old lady that's, I did this is my way, and I'm not doing it. Nobody else is with and it, I mean, and, that, and he would say things like that. I mean, of course, he wouldn't say it that way, but it would be more like, um, well, uh, this is my show, and uh, I'm going to do it my way. And if you don't like it, you can walk away, <laughs> you know? So... Yeah, you know, he was he was very much set in his ways, but that was what he knew. It worked. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's why he stuck with it because in his world, it worked for him. Yep. You know, and when you're paying everybody, everybody has to do it your way. So, you know, it, it's a it's a little bit of a control thing, but when you have paid your dues like he has, mm-hmm. when you have written songs like he has you get you know you pay the cost to be the boss you know and that that's his thing and you know and again you have to love him for it at the end of the day you know even before he died you know i love him for all of it because it's like yeah man okay and you asked a, a very interesting question about how it influences me in my other musical environments um i'm a perfectionist and i am a you know, I'm a happy to say I am a perfectionist because I am him. Uh, I mean, because of what I've learned from him, because of what he instilled in me. I don't apologize for that. Mm. I am unapologetically a profession, a perfectionist and a professional because he instilled that in us. You do what you have to do to get the sound that you want. If it's your song, we're going to play it like we wrote it the way you want it. You know, and that's what I instill with anybody that plays with me. It's like, okay, this is how I want it. And I want y'all to play it like you wrote it. Mm. You know, so, yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, I would imagine, you know, that sort of regimen and that sort of direction, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of, you know, an old school, you know, black household, you know, Hey, this is my house. You're going to follow my rules. If you don't follow the rules, you can go outside, you know, and you create your own situation. When I hear things about Prince, I, I can see that sort of mindset where, hey, this is what has worked. This is my house. These are my rules. And you learn a certain mm-hmm. type of discipline being in that type of environment. So then when you do go out on your own thing, you can't help but pull that discipline with you and, you know, and attach it to things that you're doing moving forward because, at the end of the day, like you said, you got to respect that it's, it's, it's drawn a line and this is the standard. We're going to have a standard. It ain't just nilly nally. Well, everybody else doing it, but everybody else ain't cutting you a check. So you're going to do it this way or you got to go over here. So it's, well, it's, go ahead. Go ahead. He was very old school. He was yeah. old school. That's how they did it back in the day. You know, you didn't, you know, back in the day when we, when we were, when we were children, you did what you were told. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And it was the same thing with music. You did whoever you were working for. You did it the way that they wanted you to. That's how James Brown did it. Mm-hmm. That's how Jimi Hendrix did it. That's how the Isley Brothers did it. That's how Michael Jackson did it. You know, all of you know, all of the greats had that same, um, you know, that same mentality. Ike Turner, you know, yeah, he was kind of a mean little thing, but you know, that was the school that we all came from. These new Jack players and, and these new Jack singers that are kind of like, you know, they, they leave all the creativity up to the musical director. That's fine. But you have to have some type of input. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That, that you have to. 
This is your show. So when people are listening to your show and to your music, they're listening to you. But nowadays it's the vision of somebody else because these new, these younger folk are too lazy. They're too lazy to do it themselves or they just don't know how. They so don't they know put how, themselves yeah. in the yeah they put themselves in the company of people that of like myself that do, you know, and it's just like, um yeah, give me something that's like, <laughs> um like, you know, no, I don't know. I'm asking you, you know. So it's it's one of them things where you know it's old school and old school teaching mixed with new school flavor mm. to me is is a nice little hodgepodge of well, well let me ask you about this because that this, i feel is, that needs to happen today let me ask you then jumping off and we're coming again this show is about i wish you heaven so we are going to stay focused mm -hmm. on that but i want to just ask you guys this right because it's very interesting mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. you're out working with other bands other musicians and you've been around you know prince and pedigree mm -hmm. of that type of nature what is missing from the artists and not necessarily i want to speak i want to speak to the musicians what's what is there for the musicians of today so that us as the listener can feel that soul from them feel that spirit in the music they're not just playing to a click track or something like is there something missing from your perspective that when you see a Prince show and how that show was put together and how he's playing and how the band is up on it versus what some of the newer. Uh, um, I go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, no, versus that's what, what I, I, you, you me, got the gist of it. Yeah. You got the gist of it. Go ahead. Okay. I would say that independent discipline is what's missing. Mm. Um, you have a lot of, great younger players and this is not everybody you know what i'm saying i'm not going to do the every you know every black person likes fried chicken kind of thing i'm not going to do that because <laughs> that's black um oh, but 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 i mean but you know how that goes you know everybody right, right. wants to get all down on the, all the young players and and it's not all of them it's not all of them but what i think that the older generation can really teach these cats is young is independent discipline not the discipline that comes with being in the unit but the discipline within yourself you doing your due diligence as a player to learn it all mm. not just what you're playing with or who's paying you at the moment but you have to stretch out and listen to other things <laughs> you know i grew up in church and so me listening to prince was my other things me listening to rock and heavy metal music was my other things because the the given in my household was gospel music, choir, gospel music, church music. So um, coming up, as I began to get my independence as a person, you know, I'm becoming a teenager and my parents letting me listen to what I wanted. I started listening to a whole bunch of other stuff, fusion, world music, African music, uh, reggae. All of that, because I never knew who was going to call me for a gig. My goal as a musician was to be able to play it all and not be able to fake it, but be able to authentically play it all. So I think that's what's missing or, or what should be uh, stressed, you know, more so than just, OK, if you want to play for, I don't know.
all Kirk Franklin, you have to learn Kirk Franklin's music. What's cool about Kirk Franklin is, is Kirk Franklin was inspired by a whole bunch of other people. Right. So what you might want to do is to is to go about learning who inspired him. Do your research. Yep. Get on the internet. Get on YouTube, and be like, oh, he liked Patrice Russian. Looking for you was one of his biggest hits. So you might want to go back and not only learn his version of it, but learn her version of it. Learn her solo. You know, I yep. had to learn Patrice's solo for Sexy Dancer which was such an honor for me when I finally got a chance to meet her, mm. you know? So you just never know, you know? And this is an ongoing, you know, what I say is an ongoing process that will be with you until, you know, you get put in the ground and you can't play no more. Wow, all right. Now, you know, this is not something that stops once you reach a pinnacle. And everybody knows, but I don't know if Hello? they've seen the behind the scenes uh, prints that we've got, we, we've had the chance to see, but, um, you know, this cat always watched himself afterwards. We would sit and watch our shows after shows. Yes. Yes. And Thank you, that, Lisa. That alone makes an artist better. If you, you know, it, it depends on, you know, there are artists out there that aren't that self involved with what they do. They just do it. And, you know, they don't become it completely like Prince did. Prince was, Prince all the time. <laughs> it was never. Oh, there was yes. never the. There was never the guy that just sat back and had cocoa and you know, he he was always constantly learning, thinking, listening. He had such an open, you know, ear for everything and every kind of music, and he was inspired by reinventing. So yeah, and he reinventing was, even yeah. from his style to his live performance. I mean, the way he got so good was he watched himself all the time. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember back in the 90s when I was around him and I, I flew over to Europe and I hung out and I got to see him backstage in Ireland when, you know, I was standing backstage with The Edge from U2. And after the show, I went back to the back to his dressing room and he's like, so what'd you think? And I'm like, oh, my God, well, everybody tells you how good you are. And he's like, no, not people that I respect. <laughs> you know, and I said, well, you were amazing. Oh, my God, your pitch, you know, was on dead on. And, you know, but I'd sit and watch him watch himself back then. And that was like 90, 91, 92, mm. you know, and then I to, to join his band mm. and be a totally wow. different entity, you know, within the band. Now I'm a band member and not just an artist on the side. And seeing him still doing it after all those years, it's just it was it was quite a a lesson in how to be an artist 101. You know, not mm -hmm. a lot of artists take that time and that energy to really cultivate <laughs> themselves in that way. That's why there's only one prince. True. Let me ask you this: it, it, going off of that, did you watch yourself in those performances, and what did you think about your performances most of the time? <clears throat> I didn't like watching myself. <laughs> 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 I was like, I look so fat. Oh, God, that's a bad angle, you know. So, yeah, I was always very critical of myself, which is probably why I never really got into the being a star thing. I, I, I just wanted to sing. And so when I had that opportunity of him calling me after 20 years, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to get a gig in Vegas, and I can't because I just had a baby. And you know, nobody hires not a person that ain't skinny in this town. And, you know, he didn't, he overlooked that. I mean, he wanted us all to be in shape. He wanted us to be healthy because he had us running around. One time he wanted us to wear roller skates on that symbol oh, stage. Yes. Remember that? 
Oh my God. I was oh, yes. my roller skating at the IZOD Center in Jersey going, oh my God, I can't believe I'm roller skating. I'm going to fall off the stage. But then, <laughs> oh, thank wow. God, he just had the twins doing it. But he wanted us in yeah. shape, you know, but it wasn't like, you know, he knew we were women, you know, we weren't going to be. And, and he also wasn't real thrilled. Right, with right, having right. And we were all shaped differently. Right. We didn't have to have skin showing, which, you know, he didn't believe in that. He wanted us to dress like queens. He wanted us to to have respect for ourselves and and be ladies, you know. That was cool. That was a cool thing I remember. All right. Let me yeah. uh, let me also I have to say that I oh, enjoyed I enjoyed watching. Oh, you did? I, I was saying I enjoyed watching myself. I, I enjoyed looking back at at uh, at uh, uh at the shows because it allowed me to hear the full picture. When you're on stage, you don't get to do that right. because yeah. your mix is your mix, and you're also in the midst of all the crowd noise and all of that. And so, uh, what I liked was being able to hear back and how much we sounded like the record. That was the biggest joy for me. It's like, oh wow, I, you know, I would. I remember being as a kid, as a twelve-year-old, hearing Jungle Love for the first <laughs> first time. And here I am on stage playing it with the person that wrote it, and I'm playing the do 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 I'm playing that, you know. What I mean? And those are my sounds. And me and Morris, you know, we did a lot. We worked very hard on our sound, on how to complement one another, and you know, making sure we didn't play the same type of sounds. Uh, you know, uh, that our chords were nice and thick and full. So I liked hearing the 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 final the final cut, you know, at the end of the night. It that was what kind of melted my butter. Yeah, I love. Can I can I ask a question? So, um, did you guys did he tape every single performance and make you watch every single performance or just select ones? Every single one. Mm -hmm. Wow. Every single one. There's there are Pro Tool files of every single. Whoa! Performance that we did. Ton of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so there's Somewhere a ton out. Of stuff in the, yep. Where I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's shift gears they're, just they're a little bit here, and we're gonna bring in another special guest. And and give me. I'm gonna give you the whip, so you can correct me if I get it wrong. Mr. Kevin Page, sir, are you there? Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm blessed. How are you? Great. Great. Now, uh, let us know uh, which song you are doing on this uh, compilation project. Well, me and Bethany, it's Kevin and Bethany Page. We are going on the uh, Nothing Compares to You slash Venus de Milo. Oh, interesting. All right. Now, what uh, did you choose? Did you guys choose these this track, these tracks to do? Well, yeah, I think we would have back and forth with a few but i think this one just kind of spoke to us <laughs> well to be honest with you it's we do a, a prince tribute show that we put together we did we, we do here in memphis and um one of the highlights from the show was the when bethany sang nothing compares to you and i really felt like that had the best chance at becoming a duet given the lyrical mm -hmm. content mm -hmm. and for me it's prince songs and his whole catalog mm -hmm. They're not just songs, they're records, they're creation, they're production creations. So when you start thinking about reimagining one of those, 
it's you know you don't cover when doves cry when, <laughs> when doves cry is a record to itself yes, don't think yeah if you reimagine it it I mean, it doesn't have a good shot at coming out very well. So, but nothing compares to what's interesting about that song is that it first appeared on the family record. And uh, the way Prince had produced that, it was so odd the way the synthesizers were. You weren't sure really how it went, like what the chords were. If you're a musician, you know what I'm talking about. It was just really hard to discern. So um, then when when Sinead O'Connor covered it, it was even more different than that. It, what I'm trying to say is it never had a real template that this is how nothing compares to you is supposed to sound. So that one for me had the best shot at, at reimagining it because there was no concrete. De- yeah. De- yeah. So defined. Right. Per, per, uh, even chords, everyone changes the chords. Prince doesn't do the same chords as the family, and, yeah. and the families aren't the same as yeah. Sinead O'Connor. We were sitting here listening to it, trying to figure out a couple of going, what is that? Right, right. <laughs> All right, now it's a very interesting. Y'all should have called you, me. I could have helped you out. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's very well, interesting yeah, that you, Prince, you picked that song because that point. song recently, Prince's version recently has surfaced uh, through, a, you know, through the bootlegs, and it's a very interesting take on it. Uh, so I'm going to definitely listen to that. And I want to hear, you know, you guys' uh, interpretation of that. Also, Venus Del Milo, like that song or that piece of music is to me like I just can't. Yeah, I have to think of the movie Cherry Moon, but it's such a special thing. How did you, you know, what led you to do this? Well, you know, it's got such a romance about it, as does the entire movie the, the under the Cherry Moon. And uh, when I was trying to think of a good intro for uh, Nothing Compares to You, that's, that melody came to my mind as, as kind of setting the tone of something super, uh, not just romantic, but a sort of longing that that melody had, that since we were doing a duet with Nothing Compares to You, it, it had a hurt and a, and a sensitivity about it that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to put that on for the intro. And then when we got done with the recording most of it, I said, it has to be the outro too. So... So I um I put it at the end of the song too, and and it really gives an optimism to the lyric that that sounds like oh those two got back together. Uh, well said, well said. <laughs> and it doesn't say it with words; it says it with a melody. So which is really neat. Mm. Wow, what uh, what did Prince mean to you, to both of you as musicians? Well. Oh, yeah, I'll let you go start. <laughs> oh, gosh. For me, I, you know, I, I grew up with Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind yeah. & Fire, which were my musical heroes. But as I was coming of age, they weren't really in vogue anymore. So when Prince came along, it just blew my mind for what was possible for production ideas. And 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 to, to be honest, our whole so- circle of people around the Memphis area, including Morris Hayes, we all became so sprung on Prince mm-hmm. and those productions that all anybody in this area wanted to do was be Prince in the music scene. <laughs> and it really, I mean, it was like crack. We were all sprung. And as we all kind of ventured out to do our things professionally in music, you had to figure out a way to break yourself of wanting to be so much like Prince. There really was a, a uh, what do you call it, like a rehab for... <laughs> that's what he meant to me i was just i want and he inspired me to, to i was a uh, drummer growing up but when i when i got into prince i'm like oh my gosh he does everything so i started learning keyboards i started learning bass started learning to play guitar finally started singing 
So I really wanted to be a one-man show like Prince, inspired by Prince and Stevie Wonder, of course. But um, so when I got a record deal, I, I like like Prince, I said, oh, well, I got to produce my own record, which was ridiculous for me, not for <laughs> Prince. But but they ended up letting me do it. So that was so so anything. I was always trying to pattern my life after Prince, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin's more of the musician, obviously, producer in the family. But, you know, as a singer, I just go. Wow, what you know, what pipes and, and was able to, you know, he sang like you could sing high, you could sing low. As a singer, you just want to like just kind of like he said, mimic that and yeah. But um yeah, Michael Jackson, you know, all those oh people, god, I didn't say Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Maurice White. There really was no other artist but Michael and Prince for me in, yeah, in the me in too. the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think we all in that same sort of age group, those two guys out of the ballpark the, you know, the top top tier yeah. but but prince Still you know different. has that thing of doing it all himself you know yeah. it seems so personable his performances and the 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 singing on the record it just sounded like he was like bearing his soul for real or something with something oh, about yeah. prince yeah. that and we all identify you know, with something no one ever talks about when i when i read articles or hear people talk about prince when I was trying to figure out, you know, what he was playing on records or trying to mimic the productions, what he was a master at was um, musician talk, but it, inverting, inverting uh, harmonies and stuff, making the bass note, you know, uh, the third and not just the root. I don't mean to get technical on music, yep. but he could. Oh, he, yes. Inversions. <laughs> where, you're just, yes. <laughs> where you're saying, what the hell is that chord he's playing? God, and it just would drive you crazy, and you're going, "Who thinks of that stuff?" Nobody was thinking. And he was a kid, right? I mean, and he it, did. He <laughs> hey, can I can I jump in and say something? Hey, Kevin, this is Niall, by the way. Oh, hey, um, Niall. Yeah, your version again. Like I complimented you the other day, the power and the passion in your version. Everyone's going to really feel it. It's really a wonderful, and the Venus de Milo was genius how you put it in there. But um, the thing about Prince is. He he wasn't he wasn't formally trained in music, right? So when he did those things, like put the third in the bass or did his really interesting chord changes and stuff, it's just what he felt was right. Kind of like a Brian Wilson or uh -huh, even a John uh -huh. even a John even a John Lennon. Like these guys were not formally trained. So when they sat behind whatever instrument they were gonna piano or guitar or whatever. They were just going to, it was just going to be, does this, is this where I want to go? You know, or is this where I want to mm -hmm. take the song? Or, hey, this is interesting. This mm -hmm. is this is unexpected. So Cassandra could probably speak to that because I know Cassandra is a, uh, a jazz studies student getting ready to graduate pretty soon. And and you and you played yeah. for Prince. So what was, I got a very specific question for you. From your observance yes. of Prince playing either playing an instrument in front of you, like, well, your instrument, the keyboards. Mm -hmm. Could you, I mean, he just, it was just from the heart, right? Because there's no real foundation in quote unquote music theory, right? Well, this is what it is. What you got, was, like you said, was his version of it. You know what I'm saying? Like how it came out is how it came out. Um, yeah. And oftentimes when, when he would, play certain things there's a certain dissonance that comes along with it that you yeah. expect because you've yeah. heard it before and it's yeah. just like okay okay 
And you learn to like it because it's him. It's so authentically him. Nobody would think to use those two chords on top of each other. Me being well, yeah, an accomplished you, piano player, it would just be like, dude, you breaking all the rules, but it's cool because yeah. it's you. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, there have been many. Go ahead. I was going to say, he had a psychedelic sensibility, right? And here, this is not to disparage Michael in any way, but that's one of the big, that's the, that's the biggest difference for me, even though I'm a Michael fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prince had a psychedelic sensibility and he had so much psychedelic rock influence that he, right. I think he just had, he had more of a well to draw from. Uh, right. Michael was a genius at what he did, don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, Michael did not have a psychedelic sensibility. And I think that's where Prince, the dissonance and the, and the uh, like he was a musical astronaut. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. The, the, it, it, was the, it was the Frank Zappa in him. Yep. It was the, the Joni Mitchell in him. It was the, the Beatles, um, the Beatles, the Beatles that were in him. And you and but think about all the, the three people that we just mentioned were influenced by so many other great people. Of Joni course. Mitchell, you know, was influenced by Brian Wilson. Um, yeah. uh, 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 Zappa was influenced by everybody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So right. you got you got all of those. You got all of those influences put together in a bowl. And it's what you call Prince. You know, yep. and so as a player and as his band member, um, it allowed me to dabble in because I'm a very clean player. If it, it, when you when people hear me, they're like, "Oh my gosh, you play so intentional." Uh, someone used that word, and I was like, "Wow, that is that's a good word for me. Mm. I am an, a very intentional player." And so when I got with Prince, he took that intentionalness of me, but allowed me to stretch it to where. The dissonance is intentional. Yeah. You hear that rub there? Yeah, that's exactly that kind of rub that I wanted. <laughs> you know, I, I think Prince was like the you perfect. You know, so sponge. that's what he taught me um, to be able to. Good. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I, I was gonna say he to me he was the the perfect sponge. He was able to take any sort of thing and give it his spin. You know, all those people you oh, mentioned, yeah. but he took. Not only did he take them musically, he took the visuals too, right? He would take the slide, he would oh, take yeah. all of that, but he would give it his style, even hip hop. Okay, they're doing rap now. Let me learn that. I'm gonna give it to you my way and show you a different mm -hmm. way of doing it. When I think, when I look at all of his like great albums, you know, when he just had a, just a stretch where he was just at the at the height of you know the influence into the culture, it was always during the time where the marketplace was also at the height where it was so much creativity going on you had to be at the tip point, tipping point and he had a lot to draw from you know in the 80s there was a lot of things going on that he could be oh they doing like that okay let me i'm gonna show you how how i would do that you know i'm gonna put my spin on it they can't do it like me boom and i think even like when i look at something like the rainbow children to me i could see where he was like oh okay you know r&b they going in this direction they trying to do that oh okay D'Angelo, let me show you how I would do it if if I did that style and I'm gonna flip it, you know, and put put that Prince thing on. And I always felt like all of his groundbreaking stuff was always sort of, uh, in a sense, an answer to other things that were out there. But he did it his way. Even That's his first nice albums, you could look at his first album and see he was a direct connection to some Stevie Wonder. Like you could tell, like. Okay, Stevie's hitting. Oh right yeah. Now. Let me do my style. I'm gonna do. You know, he's doing it his way, 
and new wave is coming up. Oh, I'm gonna do my style. Of new <laughs> oh wave, yeah, you know. And so I, right. I see all of it was always sort of doing his thing. And I was, and I dare say, like that was the great thing. And sometimes when there wasn't too much popping in the culture, popular music, you could see that in Prince too, because it was nothing for him to bounce off of except for himself. And he had already set yeah. the bar so high, so it was, oh, well, I guess I'll just sort of right. do my right, right. own interpretation of the old Prince. But I just really felt like he was very much of a sponge. Yeah, what it boiled down to for me is is he wasn't he wasn't afraid to try. Mm-hmm. No, even if it didn't sound right, he wasn't afraid to try it. Like yep. there were moments um, in his career, you know, when he like you mentioned about the whole hip hop rap thing. When he tried to rap, it was kind of funny, but he tried. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, was kind of funny. I'm not even going front. This was before, you know. Of course, this was before I was, you know, a band member, and I was just a fan. And I'm like, all right, Prince. Okay, <laughs> all right. You know, yeah. and and to me, somebody like him didn't have to do that. Right. But he did it. Mm-hmm. He yeah. tried. Dude, you know, he made, and sometimes he tried to make he sometimes. tried to make me do that on my album. Remember <laughs> Oh yeah, he had you rapping, Elisa. <laughs> oh Jesus. There goes a the neighborhood. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, <laughs> hey, can I hey can I jump in real quick? Of Kevin, course. Of uh course. Kevin, you're being uh you're being humble and I just want you to mention that a uh, Kevin Page had when he was an artist uh, on Chrysalis Records, he had some very well-known hit songs. Uh, Michael Dean, you might know him. Uh, oh, Cassie will Cassand- know him. She'll know. Yeah, Ka- Drop Cassandra your resume, sir. Tell, tell us. Yeah, don't be modest. Uh, I, I knew him. I knew him too, Kevin. And I was a fan of what I was hearing on the radio. I haven't told you this yet, but I was, I was a fan, and I still am. Uh-oh. I love your, I love your hits. Well, thank you. And I've always tell people, they go, what's that song you had out? I go, well, if you can't tell me what it's called, I guess it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't no. hit, so we'll move on from there. <laughs> no. Yeah, but they were hitting, man. They were hitting. Well, they were well-written. They were well-produced. Well, give us a, give, give yeah. the listeners a couple songs. Because, you know, we're in, a, we're in a Google era now. So let them so Correct. they can look it up. And they'll be, oh, okay. Well, give us a couple well, songs. Well, the more... The more popular one was uh, called Don't Shut Me Out, which was in 1989, around the fall of 89. And then in 1990, I had another single release called Anything I Want that um, didn't go quite as high as Don't Shut Me Out. But it it gave me the chance to go around the world and and do that. But, you know, the thing I think about when I reflect on Prince and, and my situation is... For most artists, when we get the shot to go out there and make a record, you're 23 years old and you're really not ready to be an artist. For me, you're going, you really haven't seasoned. You know, when I was 40, I felt much more ready to be an artist, yet it's a young person's game. So when yeah. you see someone like Prince who comes along at 20 and is making those kind of records, that's it's just so rare to be that ready. Ready, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Beyond his years, as they say. Too. Beyond right. his I, years, like an old, an old soul. Correct. Yeah. I, I see your pictures here, Kevin. I see you. Okay. I see that. Don't shut me out. <laughs> don't don't yeah. tell me that you know what that was about. I used to love that song. Uh, yeah, I see you, Kevin. Boy, you had the, you had the long hair. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. a funky, funky, funky white boy. Hey, and you make a great point, Kevin, about um, you were more ready at 40 to be an artist, but it's a young man's game. Yeah, it, it's really crazy how, because, you know, when you get older, you've actually lived a little. Um, right. And sure. for all of us that are not not Prince or Stevie Wonder, 
you, you have to live a little so you actually have something to write about and something to say. Right. Um, more experience, uh, even even traumas and things like that in your life that can actually that will come out lyrically. You just got more to say and you've probably learned a lot more about music and stuff. So it's kind of, it's kind of a unfortunate because, uh, older artists and songwriters have lived more and have more to say. And I wish there was more opportunity. Uh, I wish there was a label. I wish there was a record label. Uh, sorry to interrupt whoever was talking, but <laughs> no, no, I, no, wish, no. I wish there was a record label that was dedicated to, um, I mean, I hate to discriminate, but you have to be like 40 or over. You know what I mean? And call it like second, <laughs> second, second wind records Hilarious. or something like that. You know what I mean? There you go. You hit on well, them. As long as it ain't break wind. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I thought it. I didn't I'll say it. it. Well, that, that too. That, too. <laughs> that goes with the territory. But, or, or, you know what's funny? Or a show like The, a show like the Voice or American Idol or whatever thing, or so along those lines, right, of one of those competition shows. Mm -hmm. But people who've lived, people who've got, their songs are deeper, generally more yeah. meaningful. Well, that's, um, that's, that's if that you look would be back. Fascinating. If you look back at, uh, you know, I think we all sort of children of the 80s in some way. One thing I always look back, when you look at those old videos and different things, it was a lot of grown folks who were the top artists. It wasn't dominated yep. by kids, right? Yeah. Which is yep. totally different today. So you had, you know, Lionel, uh, you know, there's a lot of people I can, they were not kids. They was grown men and grown women singing those women. songs and they were the stars and those right. songs sort of represented everything you just said, the experiences, they understood how to make a song that would reach a person that would last, you know, the, the, the princes and the Michaels, those were the prodigies exceptional to the rule cats who had the yep. talent yep. of the older dudes and could compete. Mm -hmm. But yep. it totally got flipped, I think, as you know, it became more about money and image, whereas just put the, you know, put the younger person who doesn't have that talent, like you said, doesn't have that experience, and they're not the prodigy, but they can get the producer or somebody to make the hit song, and it just becomes about the image. But then the songs start to lack because they don't have, as you said, that experience and the, and the voice to speak that can touch a whole bunch of people they don't have like you know you look at marvin Gaye, right he can write from an experienced place mm -hmm. we gonna all feel it didn't matter if he was a 16 year old or whatever he was a grown man but but but, but older people lead and can do things that we can all feel so i think that's why we're missing right now uh that space but to go back to your point about the record label you know what i would say to i always say to the artists of today no matter what the age and particularly in older artists well you know what the the the, the record company ain't gonna let you in the game like that's <laughs> just they'll take your song and maybe put it in front of some child or something but in terms of you singing it you're just gonna have to use the tools that they got today to get it yeah. out there and get on the internet or whatever it is but your music yeah. is gonna shine through to the people who want to hear real stuff you know, you just oh, yeah. Get it out there, you know? Yeah. Real music will never die. Right. Um, and with the and a lot of people are shying away from record labels and things like that because the Internet has offered such a wonderful platform. Does it take hard work? Heck yeah. Better believe but at the end of the day, you you reap the you reap the benefits of it. You don't have to share it with anybody uh, unless you know you have a team or whatever, and you divvy it up however you want. But does it take twice as long? Of course it does. But 
I mean, I'm starting to like the kind of grassroots approach because the public wants good music. They do. What they're getting on the radio is not what they necessarily want. It's what's yeah. being shoved in their faces, but it's not what they want. You know, they want the, you know, the, the real. They want the, you know, the soul of what, uh, uh, you know, the Marvin Gaye's and the Donnie Hathaway's and the ones that have come before. We have those artists such as Layla Hathaway, who is Donnie Hathaway's daughter, who is amazing and is doing very well. So, you know, it is possible. It's possible. You just you have know, to. You know, it's um, crazy. It's crazy to me when you when you look at somebody like Prince, who put out 2010, put out phase one and phase two, and none of that stuff played on the radio. Nope. And I, he'd look at us no. like, how come I can't get on the radio? <laughs> you know, and if he can't get on the radio, there's something majorly wrong with that picture. Right. But, you know, yeah. mus musicology gave him a few radio hits. I think that was a lot. Uh, if you correct me, got any of you guys correct me if I'm wrong. The last stuff that was able to get on the radio or um, chart in terms of like a hit single were off musicology mm -hmm. or did he have a few after that? No, that was it. Probably I feel. Yeah. I think that yeah. that was it. Call my name was mm -hmm. did pretty well. Musicology right. itself, the song did really well, uh, or mm -hmm. pretty well, relatively speaking. But um, yeah, but that, so he got that frustrated him though. I know it did. Oh, see there, that's some good insight right there, Lisa, because I didn't know it that did. he even cared it about did. that at all. It did. It frustrated him. You know, I mean, he he didn't understand why there wasn't that kind of support anymore. And and it was kind of sad. Well, I think he understood. Go ahead. Uh, it's, it was kind of sad for me, for people that weren't like, you know, major Prince fans, when I would come home to Vegas and say, yeah, I tour with Prince, and people would say, wow, I didn't even know he toured anymore. Oh, man, a lot that's of the, crazy. I know, yeah. it was the saddest thing I ever heard come out of somebody's mouth. But, there were, but honestly, we were doing a lot more touring over in Europe than even in yep. the States. I mean, we did yeah. the L.A. Yep. thing which was a 21 nights, which was pretty cool. And, but, but honestly, they, they didn't think Prince was doing anything anymore. Like the random people that weren't Prince fans, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and part of that's because he wasn't on the radio and it's just, it's sad how that all, that whole machine works. It's yeah. Really machine, that's, and I think, that's a good word. Go can, ahead, can I add something? This is Kevin. Um, Kevin, go ahead. Is does an artist like Prince, y'all, you guys knew him. So do, do they really take in the fickleness of, I mean, radio for any artist has its uh, brief moment in time when it's really applicable to them, but to be a legend like him and Elvis, you, how you go around the world and sell out all those concerts like y'all did. That's the proof of the pudding that you're a legend. So radio to me, right. I, I wish somebody could have put it in his mind that, you do realize that doesn't matter. The guy that's got a number one song today probably can't sell out the uh, the bathroom tomorrow. So, <laughs> oh, that's, <good. laughs> that's cute. So, did y'all not aware that? Yeah, I'm an Elvis. Elvis couldn't give away a record, but could sell out stadiums right. everywhere when he was. He was aware, but I think that we we're talking about Prince here. We're talking about, and of course, this is just my opinion. Um, he had the biggest ego, you know what I'm saying? So I think to him, his whole thing was, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done in the past. I've given you good music. Why are you not supporting me back? Mm. 
You know what I'm saying? Not understanding that the industry, well, no, he understood it. He knew the industry had changed. He knew the industry had changed, but he, 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 again, he's old school. Yeah, Back he was in the like day, a little old man people, in that way. Yeah, people gave homage to, people paid homage to the ones that came before. Mm-hmm. And, and they made way. The heavens opened up. You know what I'm saying? For people like Count Basie and, you know, on the jazz side of, you know, and Duke Ellington and, and people like that. They made way. When they came around, it was like back the heck up. Nowadays, with, with Prince, it just seemed like that wasn't the case. Not over in America, it wasn't. In Europe, oh, we, yeah. That's why we spent so much time over there. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? American artists are very, uh, are American artists, American listeners are very fickle. They are. They, they yeah. know that we're, they're spoiled and they know that they have their pick. And the record companies, the way that they function now with no A&R whatsoever, uh, you know, they they pick the, the smallest little chick with the blonde hair and, you know, put her in the studio with autotune and get the hottest producer, throw a full of grand his way and say, here, you know, that's that it's a, it's become a mill. You know what I'm saying? With no with no substance at all. You know, in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases. So I think he was aware and I think it it frustrated him to a point. Um, And I think, honestly, if he had really stayed with it, he could have created his own. People, people did make way for him. The older cats that were still in the industry that were in radio, they made way. Trust Mm -hmm. me, they would have done it. They would have done it, but I think he was just so to the point where it's like, I'm 50-something years old. I've been in this thing since I was 19. Hear me. See me. What? What? You know what I'm saying? Like, help me out. You know, yeah. I've done a lot for y'all. You know, so, uh, yeah, and it's unfortunate that it, it had to, you know, it ended the way that it did and when it did, because yeah. Hit and Run were two great records. Right. I mean, yeah. which, if he would have put some muscle behind them, that would have been a heck of a tour. So. Oh, that would have been so much fun. <laughs> now, yeah. uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, yeah. I was going to say, Elisa has an interesting little story. I don't, I'm, I don't hope I don't put you on the spot here, but you had a conversation with Prince a few years before he passed where wasn't he saying that it, I, I was gonna, he was going to retire? And no, the whole he, thing he about cookies? He, yeah, <laughs> he called me up because I was, I was sending him some songs that I had written. And just to give you just a, a little insight to the kind of man that he was. I think in the back of his mind, he knew that he wasn't going to tour and have the, you know, the, the horns and everybody. And I think he felt bad that, you know, I wasn't going to be included as of, you know, 2014, which was our last like phone conversation. And so he was kind of encouraging me to, you know, write songs and I needed to write songs for like, Oh, what's that girl with the ponytail? Um, uh, you know, what's her name? Grande. Yes, Ariana. Yeah, yeah, Ariana Grande. Because he was saying the songs that we had sent him. Actually, Niall and I had sent a couple songs in, and Prince paid us to own the publishing on it, and he paid us a nice chunk, and he didn't make us sign a contract, nothing, and it was that almost like a gift to say, "Hey, we're not going to be touring, but here, take this," mm-hmm. and. Right. 
So I was like thankful because, I mean, I have a family to feed and I was thinking, great, no tour. What am I going to do? But he said, you need to be writing. You need to stay at home, put your slippers on, make some cookies, hang with your daughter and just collect the checks. And that's what he said to me. And he said, I don't really feel like going through the whole sound, you know, sound men like he was going through them in these big arenas he was tired of that he wanted to do something smaller and he said to me i'm not going to probably tour as much and i don't know if he was being honest or if he was just trying to make kind of like cut me off and tell me you know hey you're not going to be touring so he's trying to make <laughs> me feel better or running game is that what we say but but at least he, he helped me out majorly and uh, never, I'll never forget it and I'll be forever thankful. And, mm. you know, then, you know, I'd contact him through Twitter every now and then and say hi. And one time I sent him a picture of me and my daughter in our Eagles jerseys because we're Eagles fans. And he's like, he said, how about those Eagles? And he's like, you can keep your Eagles. And I'm like, well, I still like the Vikings, you know, but we would tweet back and forth and. I sent him pictures of my daughter's birthday party with all these little girls in it and, you know, having a blast in a limo. And and uh, when he landed on that plane that day that, that that happened, I tweeted him an inbox message and I said, hey, I just want to check on you. Make sure you're OK. Please let me know. And he said, uh, save your prayers. Uh, per uh, perfect. Save your prayers. Controversy. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? Hashtag controversy. Right? Hashtag controversy. So I was like, what the heck does that mean? So I just said, well, I'm a mom and I'm worried about you. Make sure you're eating and sleeping and, you know, taking care of yourself. And that's the last night that was on the 15th of April. And then, mm. uh, and then he'd passed. And so I was, it was just a rough week as everybody I'm sure felt the same way. Hey, could I jump in here? <clears throat> and then, you know, after he passed, bring, well, bring us back to this I Wish You Heaven uh, project is after he passed, I'm sure like everyone here, I'm sure uh, we're all big fans. I literally kind of just languished really in in, uh, in confusion, I would say for it took me at least a couple of weeks to sort of snap out of uh, a kind of a, a mini depression. And um, I've never felt like that about any but a person that I did not know. So that that's a testament to the how powerful his influence was on me uh, as a musician and, you know, as a human being. Um, mm. So then I thought, well, what could I do? You know, what what could I do? And then as as time went on, uh, just a few months after that, I called Lisa and said, hey, we should do this thing where we get a bunch of artists to do covers and this will be our way of paying respects and feeling some kind of closure um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's sort of the, that's the inception of it. Um, and I, I'm so glad Cassandra's a part of it. I'm so glad Kevin's a part of it because I'm not just saying it cause they're on the, on the phone. I'm there. Those are two of my favorite of the 15. I have and Darren, my, Darren Hayes is, his is great too. Oh my oh, God. Yeah, Darren, Darren Hayes from Savage Garden. He's on it. Mo it's mostly independent artists, but there's a few cats on here mpg members kevin you know people who've had deals and have been out there and stuff um but everyone bottom line is everyone did it for the love of prince and i have i have a handful of favorites and and both of theirs are in it um and just uh, so happy that everyone was a part of this it's cool and and um hopefully it's just it's one of those things you know you put it on youtube as long as we don't 
get muted or shut down or anything like that. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of those things I can feel like, well, this will be up there as long as the Internet's around and people are around. This, this, people might be enjoying these covers 30 years from now. You know, let me, let me ask you this. So uh, just to be clear, so for the fans, you know, we can get this on YouTube starting you said, Christmas Day. Is that right? Yeah, Christmas Day. I might even have it uploaded by Christmas Eve, which is kind of cool. I know a lot of people stay up late on Christmas Eve and kind of hang out and stuff. Um, so that that might be the goal. I mean, it, it'll be on the if you go to the I Wish You Heaven Facebook page, mm-hmm. um, we'll have a precise time where it's like. Okay, it's now uploaded. You guys can go check out these tracks. You could check them out as a playlist. I'm going to create a playlist of all the tracks, or you could check them out as individual songs, whatever you happen to, you know, um, vibe on. But stylistically, man, we're all over the place. We have like uh, Cassandra's version is like a, a jazzy, you know, R&B soul jazz take on something in the something in the water, um, and uh, Kevin's thing is kind of this. Kevin's is pretty epic because he has some classical influence in there. He's got sort of the blues rock thing in there, um, soul. Um, and then other versions we have in there, we have some laid back, almost country versions uh, of, of other songs. We have uh, rockabilly vibes. We have a bossa nova version of Kiss that we're calling Kissanova, which is a really... <laughs> really wonderful thing the guy who who sang it has this kind of uh barry gibb voice so it it, it to me it sounds like the bg's doing prince which is hmm. damn interesting if you can just fathom that for a second um <laughs> so yeah so there's all kinds of styles and stuff and it's just man what a wonderful experience and now it's being wrapped up and we're getting ready to put it up so all right any any you. plans for you know, I got to ask these questions. Any plans for like a CD or something on iTunes, uh, something? Well, <laughs> I guess I'll answer that. Okay, when I was, when I was researching, when I was researching the logistics of doing something like that, um, and then you guys can jump in, Cassandra or Kevin or Lisa, or whatever. If you guys know anything different than I do, but it gets it, it definitely complicates things when you uh, when you want to sell a song. Because then you have to get a mechanical license and you have to pay in advance on the royalties of how many units you think you're initially going to sell. Um, and it just gets a little complicated. And I didn't want to go down that road. And I didn't, I, I, I think that's probably the main reason. And then the other reason is uh, we wanted to make something free and you can't actually technically have, and I'm, uh, uh, on Apple, um, on iTunes, you can't, Apple can help you give away a song if you want to give away a track or something. But right. if you're going to have an album up there, I, I believe that technically you can't have a free album because that's not the, the business they're in. Now on Apple music, you can stream it. So the hopes is the hope, the hopes for right now are, let's see what happens on YouTube. Let's make sure we're safe and that nobody from the Prince estate comes after us because we're just doing this as fans and uh like i was telling dr funkenberry which i have to give a shout out to funkenberry we did a podcast with him um is that if anyone's going to make any money on this thing it's going to be prince's estate because once it gets tagged and the algorithms of the of google figure out that google and youtube uh they figure out that 
it's a cover song, then royalties, streaming royalties. So every time you somebody listens and watches this video, um, it's going to go to them. So hopefully there's no issues. I mean, Prince's estate. I don't know how what they're doing. I know Prince used to take down stuff all the time. We all know that, but I don't. Hopefully we're safe on there. And I think once we're safe on there, then I'm going to seek to put it on mainly Spotify and maybe Apple Music as far as streaming. Again, not for sale. Now, uh, Cassandra may put it out as a single. She was toying with that idea. And she, she'll she just have to jump through any hoops to make it for sale. And I think it's a great idea because it's definitely single worthy, even for Kevin, if he wanted to put it out as a single. Um, many people have versions that are single worthy if they wanted to jump through the hoops and then make it for sale. But for right now, no physical CDs, uh, nothing downloadable for sale. You can just enjoy it on YouTube um, and then later on Spotify, hopefully. All right. And and uh, who came up with the title of the project? Well, I'll, I'll tell you real quick. So I Wish You Heaven, we, we all us Prince fans know, was a song on the Love Sexy album. Mm-hmm. So originally I had a good friend of mine slated to do that song. Uh, it is now done by Darren Hayes from Savage Garden, and it's just an amazingly beautiful version. Um, but uh, I had another friend slated to do that song, and I did not have an album. I didn't even have a working title for the album. Um, and we were just kind of hanging out, and we were working on the song. We were kind of going to go for more of a John Lennon-esque version of I Wish You Heaven. And uh, it didn't work out, but my buddy, Paul Gallardi, I'll give him a little shout-out, he said, you know, that should be the title of the album. And I just looked at him and I said, God, man, there couldn't be a more appropriate title. Because we do. We wish Prince heaven, I'll tell you. All right. Yeah, one of the most beautiful things you can say to anybody. I wish you heaven. I wish you love. I mean, what he's saying in that song. And I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think Darren should mm. figure out a way. Darren Hayes from Savage Garden. He should put that out as a single. Um, it's, it's, as yeah. an artist. Because I think he could have a hit with it. All right. Well, before we get out of here, we always like to do is to let people know where they can find you and connect with you online. Uh, so we'll start with Elisa. Where can they find you online? Uh, well, I have a website, uh, com, And then I also have uh, most of the stuff that I've been doing lately is with the Bruce Harper Big Band. So you can go there to www.thebruceharperbigband.com and you'll see all the shows that we have planned for the coming year. And uh, on Facebook, you know, I, I answer people back. <laughs> all right. You don't answer so, me. Oh, he's putting you on blast. Oh, right. <laughs> well, <I'm just> <laughs> You're always calling my... <laughs> Cassandra, where can they find you at? Um, well... Well, CassandraO'Neill.com is down right now, but it will be up within the next month or so. Um, I am also on Yamaha's website. Um, I am a Yamaha artist. Um, uh, you can look at me. I think it's YamahaMusic.com or just Google it because they they change it a lot. Um, Facebook, you can find me there. I do answer people uh, on my fan page and my personal page. Instagram. <clears throat> Periscope and C A S S Y, the letter Q, the letter T, K E Y S. That's Caddy, Cassie Cutie Keys. Um, yeah, that's Twitter. That's Twitter Periscope. 
Facebook and Instagram. Um, also, for those that are going to the NAMM show, look out for me there. I will be doing tutorials for Yamaha, um, their keyboard line, the montage. Nice. And uh, so come in, you know, come to Anaheim and say hi. Yeah, come, come say hello. All right. Uh, Mr. Kevin and Bethany, is that right? Yes. <laughs> um, we're going to try to get our website up and running again after the new year. But um, we do have a fan page on Facebook, which is just Kevin and Bethany Page, P-A-I-G-E. Yeah. And uh, you, you can also uh, search on, on YouTube for Kevin and Bethany Page Prince Tribute, which we did a, a really two-hour full-length uh, love letter to Prince. It took four months of, of rehearsing and assembling. We didn't, nobody's going to jump around and lace uh, bottoms with, <laughs> Dang, you know, so, but, but the music is done with so much love and so much respect yeah. for those records. So we, um, we hope you can check that out. All right. And Mr. Nile, where can they find you? On <clears throat> well, um, Alisa and I are the administrators of the I Wish You Heaven page. So if you want to reach us through the I Wish You Heaven page, We'll definitely go like it and then there's a message button there you can reach us there and then i also have a nile gogus facebook page um you you know that's the simplest way it's quick and easy um i have a i have a personal musical project too so if you see that name on starfish and coffee coffee i sent you that track so nile quit the band that's the the name of my project as an artist and as a producer um and uh so you could find Nile quit the band on all those all the common places, Twitter and, and Facebook and so forth. What, last but not least, Michael, um, I know you know Aisha Staggers, and I think you interviewed her, uh, the journalist Aisha Staggers. I want to give her a special shout-out because she's going to do uh, a follow-up article. She did an initial article on this project several months ago for the Huffington Post and interviewed Elisa and I, and she's going to do a, a an article she's working on it right now. I don't know when it's going to be posted, but Aisha came really out of the blue, heaven sent again, like all the artists. And she just said, Hey, how can I help? And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, I'm a journalist and gave me her credentials and stuff. And I said, well, we'd love to have you on board. And she's been like super, super gracious and just spending her time and helping us promote this thing. So it's kind of neat how the project took on a life of its own. And uh, my hopes is that that uh, people just love it and share it and uh, and just get to to, um, you know, just just a further, I guess, an extension of the legacy of Prince, because that's all this is. Like what we were talking about earlier um, before we even started recording, Michael, is that nobody can do these songs like Prince. Prince is the one and only. Right. And he did his thing. And we're just humbly doing our covers of of his music. Not trying to be him, not trying to to say, hey, look at us or whatever. We're just doing our thing humbly. And um, and it's an extension of his legacy. You know, he loved cover songs like we were talking about earlier. He did them all the time. So anyway, uh, that's where you can find us. Special thanks to Aisha. And thank you, Michael, again for having us. Appreciate yes. the support and the promotion. Can I say one thing? Of course. Okay, yeah. just one thing, quick thing. On Starfish and Coffee, my daughter got to sing backgrounds because... In the version that uh, that Niall produced, we kind of did a little homage to the uh, the time that he was on the Muppets, and and they did those cool backgrounds. <laughs> and so, we had my daughter and myself doing. Oh, that. the ball. Yes, <laughs> and they go. singing. Oh, yeah. oh, everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So right, right. Cassette and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I found a cassette tape that I had from back in the day in the '90s when I met Prince for, uh, the first time around. Um, that he had had left a message on my answering machine, and I just thought it was the funniest message ever. So I taped it, and I had it. And I found it after he passed up in all of my cassettes. I was like, oh. did that. So I went and got all my cassettes down and I looked through every single one of them and I found it. And what it was, was he called me from Japan saying he was coming, you know, this way. And he wanted to see if I was going to stay in L.A. Uh, so we could get together. And on the message, he goes, mushy, mushy. Hello. Hello. And then he bangs the phone and then he goes, goodbye. And that's it. <laughs> so wow. it's his voice. It's him. Nobody has this tape and I found it and it's a gem. And so that's probably going to be the last song on the, in the order of the uh, compilation because yeah. his voice, it will be the last thing that you hear. And so I wanted to share that because it's, it, it was a personal thing, but it was so funny and so cute. I thought I gotta let everybody hear it because it's too cute. <laughs> yeah, and I can't. I can't wait at least until somebody samples that and does like a super electronic mix or some kind of hip hop track with his voice. <laughs> somebody's gonna. Somebody's gonna sample it. it. There, there was a hit like 15 years ago where somebody did that with Madonna. Had left a, a, a message on somebody's answering machine. Oh, and really? It, yeah, it was sampled and turned into like a hit song. I'm, somebody's going to sample Prince at the end. Mm. It, it was really cute. And it's just so perfect at the end of Starfish. Um, it's great. And then my Ooh. daughter laughs at the end, and it's just, it's so cute. Uh, so, what's your daughter's name? Olivia. Olivia. How old is she? She's going to be 12 next month. Oh, a teenager, early teenager. Oh, my gosh. Time flies. <laughs> And you remember, you were, were you there on that 4th of July? We were on the roof at Paisley watching the fireworks, Cassie? And he was just growing out his afro. I believe so, yes. And yes. my daughter was there. Yes. The and she went up to him and said, up high. And he hit his, her hand. And then she went down low. He hit her hand. And then she went, I like your afro. <laughs> with her little <laughs> <laughs> it was the cutest thing. He cracked up so hard. He loved my daughter. So <laughs> they no, were it, buddies, man. He played her "Twinkle Twinkle Little oh, Star," right? Yeah, she sang. The, he played the guitar, and she sang. She played up in the playroom before he tore that down. Mm. Um, so, and then she made him a, a cute little picture, of coloring of a house. And the day that she handed it to him. He had one of the texts at 11 o'clock at night. He said, you better have this framed and in my office tomorrow morning. And sure enough, they found a frame and he had it hanging in his office. So That's cool. Wow. It's pretty cool. All right. Incredible stuff. Uh, let me tell all of you guys, thank you for coming on and sharing. That That's the big thing. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate you. hearing your stories. Thank you. And experience. Thank my you. pleasure. My pleasure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you already know what to do. Uh, go on. We're going to have the link on there. So, Christmas, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a celebration, it's a Christmas gift, it's a tribute to Prince, his greatness, and it's from people who, some people who got to work from, with, with him, and some incredible musicians as well, so we're going to be listening, and we're checking it out, and again, it's coming from a good place, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you already know what I'm about to tell you what to do, work it like a job, uh, we'll have another show before the end of the year, but if I do not talk to you, please be blessed. You're alive, so you have an opportunity to do things, but be a blessing to somebody else. Serve. That's what I'm 
pushing forward for next year. We got to serve. So with that, we'll see you next time. Peace. This is what she'd say. All right. Stop pushing Right.